testing. To, hey, good morning. You can hear me. So it's so funny. The church at 10.30, I'm a little worried. At 10.32, I'm okay. Y'all know church starts at 10.30, right? Okay. Should I be doing a, a Grace Fellowship wake-up call? Should we move our, our, our service up earlier and just trick you guys? Huh? 10.30. All right, that's my score. Good morning. We are finishing up the letter in James today. I've really enjoyed uh, preaching this with you and going through this book. And we're going to end today. So if you'll turn to James 5, we're going to read verses 13 through 20. The title of today's message is The Power of Prayer. And I know from speaking from several of you, several of you this week, this is something that we really, really need to embrace is the power of prayer and praying for each other. It's a big, big thing. So look at chapter 5, verses 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone, uh, anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years, six months. It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Anyone that brings back a sinner from his wandering. Well, you know, in preparing this sermon, I was reminded of a line that is in one of the hymns that we sing here at Grace Fellowship, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And the line was, take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In this letter, James has spoken of the power of the tongue. We talked about that before. The power of the tongue, and both blessing and curse. And here we see the awesome blessing of speech in proclaiming God's word and in both praying to and praising God with that tongue. Another line from that wonderful hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, is what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a privilege. Did you know that prayer is an absolute privilege? Everything. What is he talking about? James goes over it. What is everything? Our suffering, our cheerfulness, our sickness, everything. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So I just want to concentrate on verses 13 through 16 first. How are you suffering? You can think that to yourself. How are you suffering? What difficult circumstances are you having to endure? What is the affliction? Is it disappointment? Could it be the loss of a loved one? Is it mistreatment or persecution by another? Could it be health? Physical, emotional, mental. I mean, folks, 
There are so many kinds of afflictions. They are endless. Are you suffering? What does James say? Let him pray. As flawed humans, though, we have the temptation to grumble or become hurt or become angry. We can even attempt to figure out how to fix it or create a remedy, if you will, a plan of action all on our own before going to God in prayer. I can handle it. That's the flaw of being human. But the Bible tells us to pray. James says what? Let him pray. For a Christian, this is the appropriate response. Affliction should lead us straight to God. But a lot of times, we veer off course in hurt and in anger and in a selfish plan. The prayer of a believer that is offered up to God during a time of suffering is not necessarily for deliverance during this trial. It's not necessarily for deliverance. Sometimes it's just for the strength to remain steadfast and endure faithfully the suffering at hand. We have to remember that. I liken this to the widows that Scripture talks about. God is very direct when it comes to the taking care of widows. In 1 Timothy 5, 5, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. Widows were very vulnerable members of society. They were vulnerable. They were defenseless. They were left alone. Their reliance on provision had to come from somewhere. And this is why God has so much direct information towards widows and orphans, those that are unable to help themselves. And we see that in this verse. Prayer was everything to the widow. What about the prayer of the persistent widow? There's a parable called the persistent widow in Luke 18.1. The very first verse says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's a wonderful example. Prayerfulness is a way of living and an attitude by which a believer is constantly, listen to this, is constantly developing the relationship with God. Have you ever taken that into consideration? Church family, have you ever thought that your prayer life, right, is directly related to your relationship with God? Prayer is continually developing this relationship, continually developing that's are you suffering. Hey, are you cheerful? I think we all want to be cheerful. You know, not all of our days are full of suffering, you know, but we have to understand something, that we're not just talking about outside or outward circumstances of cheerfulness, but the cheerfulness of heart. The cheerfulness of heart that one has when they are enjoying the good times, yet also enjoying the bad times. You can st- still have a cheerful heart. We can see this when Paul and Silas are arrested. Paul and Silas are arrested and thrown into jail in Acts 16.25. It says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Folks, in your cheerfulness, in your prayers, you can sing hymns. You can sing psalms, my favorite thing. You can make up the words right on the spot that relate to the very thing you were going through, the very thing you were suffering. Guess what? You don't have to have a melody. It doesn't, the words don't have to rhyme. You can just sing out to God because he's looking at the heart. But singing hymns, you know, praise is an appropriate response to the state of heart and state of mind. 
you realize you can pray in praise to God in that state. And with that, singing. You can give your thanksgiving in singing. So with this in mind, though, I want to say something. It is very easy for us to forget that the good times in our contentment, that the good times in our trouble-free days belong to God. They're God's cause because of Him. We have to remember that. Our comfort, our ease, these two should be taken to the Lord in prayer because they come from Him. We are called to pray on all occasions. We are to pray in whatever situation we find ourselves. Folks, what a privilege. What an absolute privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Who among you is sick? We talked about cheer. We talked about suffering. What about sickness? Because we're going to God with everything. What about sickness? Let him call the elders of the church. Now here we find James illustrating the biblical model of what plural eldership looks like. Grace Fellowship is following that path of plural eldership scripturally. The elders are called to pray over the person, the one who is sick. Most likely, this person is too sick to get out of bed, folks. They can't get out of the house. And they might even be bedridden as they're praying over him. But as they pray, it says they are to anoint oil. Now, much can be said about anointing oil, but I want to give you a couple things. Let me lay out just a couple things about oil. Okay, The most common oil used in ancient and modern times, of course, is olive oil. Okay? Now, this custom is still used over in the East for its medicinal properties. They believe the medicinal properties in this heal. So this is still being used. While this oil did not have medical applications for all diseases, why it didn't have applications for all sickness, it did clean wounds. It's true. It was anointed for healing and for those to clean wounds. So You can see this when Jesus sends out his disciples in groups of two in Mark 6.13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is also expressed in the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you know this parable, this poor man is attacked and beaten, and another comes along, the Good Samaritan, and cleans his wounds. But how does he clean his wounds? He binds them up with oil and wine. So yes, the elders could not only be armed and ready with the spiritual, that is prayer, they could also be armed with the natural, the oil, the medicine. But I want you to think about this. If oil is just for medical use, if it's just administered to the sick or injured solely for medicinal purposes, why then would the elders need to be there when anyone could apply this oil to the person in need? Why go to the elders? I'm going to tell you why. Because the oil is symbolic. It is a visible means of setting the sick apart for God's intervention. It is a visible means of setting apart that sick person for healing, just like when we place our hand upon somebody and pray for them. We are setting them apart. But we have to look to the text here. The prayer and the anointing are what? In the name of the Lord. Scripture says it's in the name of the Lord. So, as these elders prayed, as they anointed the sick with oil, it was symbolizing that they were setting this person apart for God's care. They were setting this person apart for God's attention. Besides, we can see that prayer is the main emphasis in this text. 
right? The anticipation of healing is, is not so much um, in the anointing of oil or in the prayer, right? It is, this is action done in the name of the Lord. It's action done in the name of the Lord while we are calling on Him in faith for healing. So the oil was an action to set apart while the prayer to God, calling on Him in faith, that is where the healing was. And this is James' main point. Not the anointing of oil, but the prayer lifted up to God. This is who we're praying for. And I want to talk about in the name of the Lord for a second. In the name of the Lord. The healing or the answer to prayer lies, folks, in the authority and direction of God's will. It is an act that is in accordance with God's will. 1 John 5.14 And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And this is why it's vital for a believer to submit to the authority of God's Word so that he or she places themselves in His will. We had a whole sermon on being placed in His will. This is what we want. Can you all look at verse 15 real quick? And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The confidence that we have in God, folks, the prayer that is offered up in faith, does not necessarily mean that the sick person will be healed. A lot of people get in trouble with this when they say, I'm not going to take medicine. My kid doesn't need surgery. They assign sometimes healing all on their own when God might have had a whole plan of healing ready for them. Sometimes, again, we take matters into our own hand and we steer off course instead of being in His will and letting God answer that prayer. So the confidence that we have in God, this prayer offered up, doesn't necessarily mean the sick person will be healed, but that God, in His will, will do what is best to fulfill His purpose. We have to remember that. God's purpose prevails in all things. We have to remember that. So, the prayer of faith, if it's in line with God's will, yes, the sick will be saved. They will be lifted up. And this is why the elders are mentioned in Scripture. Okay, The elders will seek the will of God and pray accordingly. There are many who understand, though, this raising up. I want to talk about raising up real quick. There are many who understand this raising up to mean that a person is saved from spiritual death. Yes, this is true. The saved are rescued from a spiritual death, ultimately. But the language here is describing the restoration of physical, of the physical health. I want to, in Mark 131, here Jesus is healing the mother-in-law of Peter. It says this, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Acts 3, 7 is Peter and John. Peter is healing a man, a beggar, at the gate. Acts 3, 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. See, the prayer of faith is effective and is a means of healing when God chooses to restore based on his blessing and through his will. Prayer is not a vending machine where we select, I want this, I want that, and boom. It has to be based on his restoration his blessing through His will. It is not the fervency of your prayer. Let's get that clear. It is not the repetition of your prayer. Right? It's not the use of exquisite words in your prayer. It is the prayer of faith in the name of the Lord. 
Besides me, who says repetition in prayer so they think, God, I, I just kicked you in here. I want to say it again. Anybody repeat their words when they pray? Just me? Yeah, I, you do? Okay, there's two. Okay, there's maybe four of us. Yeah, a lot of times if we think we're louder or if we repeat the words or, or you know, that I'm going to look to a thesaurus. I want to change some of my words here, my synonyms, and I want to really communicate to God. That's not it. It's heart. We're speaking to God. It doesn't even have to be verbal. He knows. So this is the power in prayer, folks. But it talks about sins, too. Now, this is a little frightening, isn't it? It is true that sickness and even death can be caused by sin. Please know that. But we have to be careful when assigning all sickness to sin, as some do. We have to be careful. Because that is not always the case. Yes, sickness can come from sin. It's true. Sickness can come from satanic attack. It's true. Satanic attack, excuse me. But sickness can also result from just the natural course of being a human being. The natural course of being a human being. So the text is presenting restoration of one who is sick, right, along with the forgiveness of sin, the whole person, all right, both in the physical and the spiritual is healed in this text. So if the sickness is the result of sin, he will be forgiven and restored to health. Again, this falls under the sovereignty of God. All matters of healing are in his hands. Please note that. Now here's, here's another line that gets us. Talking about the person that's sick, that's bedridden, being prayed over. They're confessing their sins and being healed in restoration because that's what it led to. We are told to confess our sins to one another. Not a pastor or a priest like you see in the movies. We don't do that. No, first and foremost, we take our sins to God. We ask for forgiveness and confess our sins to God. And then we should also confess our sins to those who have been affected by that sin. Right? As the text reveals, we should confess the sins which may have caused our illness so that we can receive healing over our bodily afflictions, uh, afflictions, excuse me. While is it appropriate, okay? While it is appropriate for the elders to be called to pray over those who are seriously ill and who are confessing the sin that led to that, James takes us somewhere. He makes it very clear that the privilege and the responsibility to pray for healing is for all believers. We don't just put it on one particular group. It is for all believers. So, you know, I want to just go back to one thing, that um, as fallen human beings, right, we have to think about this, it's important to note again that not all sickness is the result of a lesson that needs to be learned from God. Um, it's not the result of punishment sometimes. As fallen human beings, we live in a fallen world. We are prone to disease. We are prone to sickness. We are prone to becoming ill, right? And of course, physical death. But we're called to confess to one another and pray for one another. Now, this is scary for some people. As we have a responsibility as all believers for praying and confessing our sins, confessing to each other is a scary thing. I mean, I could see some of you husbands waking up on Sunday morning. You know, here's church member A telling his wife, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to that church. He's going to make me get on stage and tell everybody what I did all week long. 
And I could see some of y'all coming up here and going, okay, right when I left church last week in the parking lot, <laughs> that's where you started sinning, right? No. When we're talking about confessing sins to one another, folks, it's not coming up and making a public display in front of everybody. This is our small groups, our life groups, our discipleship groups. A lot of us have close circle of friends that we count on. I'm sure the majority of you in here have somebody that is a confidant to you, someone really close. And we can confess our sins. Do you know why we want to confess our sins? We want other people praying for us. We want others to pray for us. What a beautiful thing. And you know this is true when you're sick or you're going through something, to know that other people are praying for you. Does that not feel great? That feels awesome. And this is what we're called to do. So the prayer of faith, the prayer of a righteous person, this is James' focus here. But listen, this is for healing too. But listen to this. The prayer of a righteous person, it has great power as it is working. It accomplishes much. It is effective. We want to seek out these kinds of people to pray for us. But make no mistake, the power in prayer is not limited to a super-Christian. It's not limited to some great saint. The righteous person will, right? Who is, this is who the righteous person is. It is one who will wholeheartedly commit to God and seek to do His will. That's who you want praying for you. That's the righteous heart. Everything up to this point, folk, is about the power of prayer. And James has chosen a wonderful example, Elijah, as example of power in prayer. We talked about him last week, too, so this fits perfectly. So let's talk about Elijah real quick. And this is power in prayer, not the power of a prophet. Granted, it is true that we can look at Elijah as a very, very distinguished prophet. And that through reason, we might conclude that this distinguished prophet's prayer, right, may become stronger. It would be heard over that of a child or a servant or a weaker Christian. I mean, if I had, again, church member A up here, and I had the availability of Elijah over here, and I said, who do you want to pray for you? I bet everybody's eyes would shift this way to Elijah. Well, I know what he did. I want him to pray for me. Because James meets this. In meeting this thought, he, he meets us right here, right? He says, <clears throat> Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So he meets this thought process. He is a man with a nature like ours. He too was a mere man with the same infirmities and natural propensities that other people shared. You know, it's not that he was suffering under the same passions or weaknesses other people were suffering, but that he was capable of that suffering. Folks, Elijah had his own failings, he had his own weaknesses too. He too could be affected and was subject to such things. So by stating this, James is encouraging us all to pray. He is encouraging us all to pray. It is the efficiency of the prayer. It is not the power of the person. That's the power of prayer, folks. The power of prayer is available to all who are sincerely seeking the Lord. So God uses Elijah's prayer. Here's the example. He uses Elijah's prayer to do a very mighty thing. And here it is. God withheld the rains for approximately three and a half years and then restored the rains once again to replenish the land. Okay, there was a wicked king. The rains were held back due to this wicked king, King Ahab, and the idolatry of Israel at the time, the rains were held back because of that. Once that was cleared, 
the rains came back. This is recorded in 1 Kings. And although the Old Testament does not state that Elijah prayed for the drought specifically, we can infer that this is the case because how else could this be brought about other than the power of prayer through God's will? So, it's possible that tradition was handed down. The Jewish community was huge on tradition and handing things down. It's true. It could have been. That could be the reason. James states prayer as the cause. Or it could be due to the fact that Elijah was a man of prayer. All right? We have wonderful reason to believe that he was a man of prayer because we have the evidence of him during his prophetic ministry, like when he prayed over the widow's son and brought him back to life through the power of prayer. When he was at Mount Carmel and fire just licked up the water, burnt that sacrifice, that miracle, that was through prayer. So isn't it reasonable If God is working miracles such as these as answers to prayer, isn't it reasonable for us to count on Him for our needs in answer to prayer? Isn't that reasonable? That very same God is who you and I are communicating with. That is the power of prayer. I love this verse. Psalm 116. First two verses of Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. This should be our goal. First off, isn't that amazing? Think about it. Don't we all want God to hear our voice and our pleas? Everybody in here does. When we talk, when we sing, when we vocalize our thoughts, when we just think them intimately, we want God to hear those words. We want his ear inclined. And why? What happens? We will call on him for the rest of our lives. This is the power of prayer, calling on God for the rest of our lives because his ear is inclined. He does hear us. You know, James is not ending this letter like we have seen in others. This is a crazy ending. It's a crazy ending. This closing does not fit the typical closing of some of the other epistles. No, it's more of a call to action. And I love how he does this. It's a call to action. The action is calling us not to neglect the straying sinner. But for us to seek them out in love. For us to seek them out in truth. You know, the Bible says here that if anyone among you wanders, wanders. What is this wandering? It's backsliding. It's being led astray, misguided. Perhaps you were deceived by your own temptation or somebody else. Um, Maybe it's disbelief. But to cause to wander away from the truth. James tells us that we are to bring back the one who has wandered from the truth. And the results? The results, results are saving his or her soul and covering a multitude of sins. Now, there are several thoughts to this text. Because believe it or not, this is a tough text to grasp. So let's go over some of the thoughts here. Um, Maybe they never truly belonged to God, this wanderer. Maybe they never submitted truly or accepted Jesus' lordship. This would be seed that fell on hard ground. Seed that fell on rocky ground. Seed that fell on a ground that was overgrown with thorns. Right? Perhaps... The word really never took root. That's a possibility. Another view is that you were saving a person from a premature physical death that would result, be the result of their sin. 
right? Which refers us back to verse 15, saving the one who is sick and forgiveness of the sins that he or she has committed. That's a view. Another one is this. It could be a brother or sister who is in error and has wandered um, away and needs to be turned back due due to the trajectory of that path of error they're on, which is doing what? It's pulling them farther and farther away from the truth. That's true. Knowing full well that James is emphasizing prayer in this section, right? we need to see that the power of prayer is needed in verses 19 and 20. We need to see this. We would first need to pray for the person who is wandering, wouldn't we? Then we would need to pray for courage and boldness in approaching this wanderer. Then we would need to pray for the right words to say, the guidance from God in approaching this wanderer. Then we would need to pray with them for forgiveness and restoration. Prayer would be a part of this whole process in restoring a brother or sister back to the truth. That's why the power of prayer is desperately needed in the Christian life. We all have ample opportunity to fall into error and have ourselves pulled away from the truth. We do. Sin is right there at the door, folks. So what could this path of error look like? What could be a cause to wander? Well, let's talk about just the letter of James, because he's presented us with some wonderful things. He's presented us with navigating hardships and trials, uh, the deception of temptation, uh, being a doer of the Word in everyday practical holiness instead of just listening, being a doer, showing mercy and loving others, uh, works uh, that are a result of our faith, right? Evidence of our faith. The dangers of the tongue. That's a big one. Applying godly wisdom overworldly. Keeping our desires and our passions in check, in line, right? With true wisdom. Living in God's will. Laying up treasure in the heavenly instead of the earthly. Patiently waiting on God. There are many, many ways a brother or sister could wander away And any of these that James has presented to us could be that particular error. So prayer is essential. He's encouraging us to pray the prayer of faith, the prayer of the righteous person. This is the prayer of faith from a righteous heart. That's what has powerful effects. Prayer is our great resource in all that we experience. I want to repeat that. In everything that you and I can experience, Prayer is our greatest source of strength. We are to pray in suffering in the various trials that we can suffer. We are to pray. We are to pray in praise, even lifting our voices in song. Right? Even in singing to God for His many blessings, we are to pray. We are to pray in sickness. We are to pray in injury. We are to pray for forgiveness. We are to pray for one another. The church today is in great need of prayer warriors. We are. You know, are you taking everything to God in prayer? Are you? How is your prayer life? Just think for a sec. How is your prayer life? Are you communicating with God? Is it once a day? Is it? Once a week, 
Where's the communication with our God? Because, you know, if you're ever going to truly know somebody, you can't do it without communicating with them. Go a week without talking with your wife, husbands. Give me a call. I have a couch. Right? Communication is everything. So we should be talking to God readily every day and bringing everything to Him. Communicating. Prayer needs to become a constant. A constant for us. Prayer is what develops and grows our relationship with God. In prayer, we both progress in this relationship and in spiritual maturity. And folks, spiritual maturity is what the letter of James is all about. So what does he tell us to do? In all things, let him pray. And with that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just, Lord, we just, we love your word. We love what you have spoken to us. Father, you call us to, to call on you. Father, your ear is inclined. We're to call on you. We're to bring everything, Father. We are to take it to the Lord in prayer. Father, that's our sickness. That's our cheerfulness. Lord, that's our suffering. Everything needs to come to you. Father, we can speak it. We can sing it. As long as the praise and the prayer is there, Father. We know, we know that the power, Lord, is not in the exquisite words, Father, and, and not in the fervency or the repetition. It's in just the words simply said from our heart to you. And that's what you're inclined to hear, Father. Let us come to you in prayer. Let us come to you in praise. Father, we are grateful for this privilege. It is an absolute privilege that we get to communicate with the God of all creation. So, Father, today I pray for every heart in this building that we begin to pursue you diligently, to pursue you, Father, not only in study, but in talking with you, communicating with you, Father, through prayer. Let us pray for one another. Let us pray for our church. Let us pray for our community. Let us pray for our country. Father, every area I just mentioned has desperate, desperate needs. We are hurting. Let us come to you because you are the healer of all things, Father. It's not the power in the person, Father. It is the power in our prayer to you. So God, please, let us call on you in all things. We love you and we thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name. Amen.